I want us to look this morning primarily at verses 10 through 17 and answer the question the disciples had, which may be a question you have. Why is Jesus now speaking in parables? But I want to begin reading verse 1 of Matthew 13 through the first part of verse 3, and then we'll go to verse 10. Matthew 13, 1 said, The same day when Jesus went out of the house and sat by the seaside, great multitudes were gathered together unto Him, so that He went into a ship and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. And He spake many things unto them in parables. And then He will go into the first one. Go with me to verse 10. After Jesus had finished the first parable, it says, And the disciples came and said unto Him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? He answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. For whosoever hath, to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken away, even that he hath. Therefore speak I to them in parables, because they seeing see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, By hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see, and shall not perceive. For this people's heart is wax gross, their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be converted." and I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For verily I say unto you, that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which ye see, and have not seen them, and to hear those things which ye hear, and have not heard them. Then if you'll turn to verse 34, Another summary statement as to why Jesus is speaking in parables. All these things spake Jesus unto the multitude in parables, and without a parable spake He not unto them, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things which have been kept secret from the foundation of of the world. Why parables? That's the question in verse number 10. After Jesus had given the first parable, the first of seven, the parable of the sower, the disciples come to Jesus in verse 10 and ask Him, Why? Why are you speaking? Not why are you teaching? Not why are you preaching? Not why are you saying the things you just said in the parable, but why parables? Why are you using this method? Why are you using this approach to teach to the multitudes? Over the course of 
almost now, will be next month, Lord willing, 49 years of preaching and over 50 years of teaching the Word of God. I have read many commentaries. I've read many Sunday school quarterlies. I've read many lessons and articles and heard many sermons and people teaching and preaching on the subject of why Jesus used parables. Most of the time, what you hear men say, they conclude that Jesus used parables because they were much more effective teaching method. It was a better way of teaching, like using an illustration, but going deeper than that. Others have suggested that I've read that parables seem to hold people's attention more than others, or that Jesus used parables uh, to help people grasp ideas and concepts that they would have otherwise just let fly over their head or go by them without really understanding what Jesus was saying. Now, all of those answers are interesting, and all of them have a point to one degree or another. But Jesus says nothing about that when He answers the disciples in our text this morning, and yet He tells them exactly why He spoke in parables. And so I think it's important before we look at these seven parables in the weeks to come that we understand why Jesus is teaching in this particular method that He has chosen to this multitude of people. He tells us very clearly, it is in the text, it is very simple. He answers the question and gives a very, a very clear explanation as to why He has chosen to use parables to teach to the multitude that is there listening. First of all, notice with me in verse 1 through the first part of verse 3 at the setting for this question and answer session that will happen between our Lord's disciples and Jesus Himself. It tells us that Jesus began teaching in parables on the same day, referring to Matthew 12 where Jesus had been preaching in the house and His, mother's, his mother and brothers, if you remember, were standing on the outside and word got in that they wanted to see him. It's that same day. They were on the outside. He was on the inside preaching and teaching the Word of God as Matthew 12 comes to a close. On that same day, Matthew tells us that Jesus goes down to the seashore and He gets in a boat or in a ship and it is there that He continues to teach to the multitudes. He continues to declare unto them the Word of God. These people were very interested in hearing what Jesus had to say. They were probably uh, taken back by the things that He said, but now He begins to teach in a method that the disciples just are just kind of uh, bum-fuzzled about. They're kind of taken back, if you will. They, they don't understand this change in our Lord's methodology. It tells us there that in verse 3, the first part, that when He is there on the seashore in the boat with the multitudes all around Him, that He begins to speak in parables. He begins to speak in parables. The Greek word there for parables is parabole, which means to throw alongside. It's two words kind of combined. Parables are to take one story and kind of throw it alongside a truth for the purposes uh, that the one speaking has in mind. 
in regard to our Lord using parables, they are comparisons where Jesus set forth spiritual truths by common, natural, and everyday events. And that's what He will do. He will illustrate. He will present. He will explain. He will apply spiritual principles by and to common, everyday events described in typical language of the daily life. Now, you could write a a book on parables, both in the Old and the New Testament. But for our sake of study here and preaching in Matthew 13, remember that a parable is something that Jesus throws alongside in order to communicate or to hold back from communicating what He intends. Now the disciples, as a result of that, now this is not the first time they've heard Him speak in parables. They, they have heard parables. They have read parables from the Old Testament. They, they understand what a parable is. What they don't understand is why, in verse 10, He is speaking unto, notice the text, them. Why are you speaking to them in parables? We understand why you might speak to us in parables. We understand a little bit about the concept of parables, how how they were used in the Old Testament, how you've already used them. But why are you speaking to the lost multitude? Why are you speaking to them, they ask in parables? Why are you doing that? Now, we're not told specifically why they ask this question, but the word them really seems to be the heart of their question. Uh, Why them? Why are you talking like that to them? You've introduced a new method of teaching to them, and the disciples do not understand. Never before had Jesus addressed them, or had He addressed the multitudes. Them, that's speaking of the multitudes, not the disciples. But never before had Jesus addressed them in the manner in which He had just addressed them with the parable of the sower. And they come with this question, Why, Lord, have you chosen this path? And we come to the answer that Jesus gives them in verse 11 through verse number 17. And He gives them two basic reasons that most commentators and most lesson developers and most students of the Bible can come up with very clearly because they are right here in the text. There are two basic reasons Jesus spoke in parables to the multitude here in Matthew 13. Before I say it, let's read it again and see if you can pick up on it. It's there in verse 11. He answered and said unto them, Because, because is in the King James text, and it's a good way to translate this. Because it is given. Here's the answer to your question. Here is the reason. Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said the first reason I'm speaking in parables is to reveal to you, to my disciples, to those who have believed on my name, to give to you the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. So the first reason Jesus spoke in parables was to reveal to those He wanted to reveal the truth of the kingdom of heaven. The second reason is also in verse 11. But to them it is not given. So Jesus gave, spoke to the multitude in parables for two reasons. Number one, to reveal the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. Number two, to conceal the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. In other words, Christ is saying, I'm speaking in parables so you will hear and so you will understand. I'm also speaking in parables 
so some in this group of multitude will not hear, and they will not understand. When Baptists hear that, immediately red flags go up, unfair God, God not giving everybody an equal opportunity, God not giving everybody an equal chance. Just run that flag back down the pole and don't pack it away. Go burn it somewhere this evening and get rid of it. Our God is a holy and a just God. He never does wrong. He always does right. Don't let the enemy try to infiltrate your mind with thinking that God is somehow unjust and that God is doing something that doesn't give everybody a fair chance or doesn't give everybody this, this, or that, that you and I think. I want to remind you, our God is not an American. Our God is not uh, a, a person from Britain or from the Middle East. Our God is God, and He does what He does. He does it perfectly, and He does it right. And whether we're able to do that here, one day every man will bow and praise Him and give Him glory and confess that He is a righteous and a holy God. Jesus said, this is the reason I'm speaking in parables to reveal to you the mysteries of the kingdom, and to conceal from them the mysteries of the kingdom. Now I want to remind you as I continue, what I'm preaching this morning are not my words. If you have a Bible, you look at verse 11. These are not the words of some popular theologian. These are not the words of men who have created creeds and confessions of faith. These are not the words of a preacher like me. These are not words of some individual that you like or follow and you've embraced his ism or whatever. These are the words of your Lord. He said it in verse 11. Because it is given unto you to know the mystery of the kingdom and of heaven, but to them it is not given. Jesus said, I am speaking in parables for those two primary reasons. That is why I am speaking the way that I am speaking. I want to remind you again, these are the words of Jesus Himself. If you have a problem with that, you don't have a problem with me, you have a problem with Jesus. And you have a problem with His Word because He says it right there in the text. Although Jesus' answer is easily outlined, He spoke in parables to reveal and he spoke in parables to conceal. I want us to look at those two aspects from three angles this morning that is very prevalent in the text. First of all, in verse 10 and 11, Jesus spoke in parables to show the difference in belief and unbelief. In this passage, you have two people, two groups here listening. You have the disciples of our Lord, not, not just the 12, not just the ones that will be mentioned, not just Peter, James, and John, but those who truly are following Christ. And then you have the multitudes who, of course, as you know from Scripture, will eventually walk away from Jesus and will follow Him no more. Jesus spoke in parables to show the difference in belief and unbelief. And we'll see that as we go through the parables. There are some when the seed falls upon their ground, it produces fruit. And there are others, when seed falls upon their ground, it will not produce fruit. When some hear the Word of God, they will respond one way. And when others hear the Word of God, they will respond another way. We will see these in all of the parables. But He spoke in parables to show the difference in belief and unbelief. 
Look at the words in the text. Do you see the words you and the word them? Do you see in verse number 12 the words whosoever hath and whosoever hath not? Do you see that in the text? These are words of difference and these are words of division. Jesus is teaching in parables so men will understand that not everyone will be a part of the kingdom of heaven. Not everyone will believe and not everyone will embrace by faith. Just as sure as a parable contains a physical and a spiritual uh, a parts of that are in a parable, so it is in the world in which Jesus lived in our world today. There are those who have been given light and there are those who have not. There are those who have believed. There are those who have not. There are those who are saved. There are those who are lost. And Jesus said, I am speaking in parables so you will know that not everyone that is following me or listening to me is truly a part of the kingdom of heaven. It separates who understands and who does not understand. As a matter of fact, I think all of us should know by now that the message of the kingdom of heaven and the gospel of Christ, it divides mankind. While you and I are sitting here today, there are two types of people in this world. Two. Not a third group. Two. There are the unsaved and the saved. They are those that are citizens of His kingdom and those who are not. They are those who are walking in the light and those who are walking in the darkness. There are those who will have heaven as their home. There are others who will have torment and eternal separation from God as their home. There's no third category. There's no gray area. It's light or darkness. And Jesus said, it is either you or it is them. And He said, I am speaking in parables so you will be able to see the difference and the division between those who believe and those who do not believe. The gospel divides mankind. There's so much division in the world today. You can go to a gas pump and talk to the person on the other side, and you can almost be in a fist fight before it's over. I mean, every, everybody, everything today just divides everybody. It's just any little issue, and everybody takes to social media, revealing their ignorance about things. They'll argue over anything. They want everybody to know they're right and they're wrong. But all those issues are trivial, and most of them will never pass the judgment of God but the great division today is between those who know Christ and those who do not. And that's always been the issue. The parables will help to further reveal that. There is a tone of judgment in these verses. Jesus said in verse 13, Therefore speak, or for this reason I speak to them in parables, because they see. Jesus said when they see, they see not. I can show them light and they don't see it. I can preach truth and they don't believe it. Jesus said there's a note of judgment here in this thing of parables. He spoke in parables to judge the hard-hearted and those who refused to believe. We'll talk about that more in a minute, but I want, to, want you to grasp the fact that Jesus, first and foremost, is speaking in parables so it'll be easily understood and never forgotten that there is a difference in this world between those who believe and those who do not believe. But secondly, Jesus spoke in parables not only to show the difference in belief and unbelief, He spoke in parables to fulfill prophecy. There are two prophecies mentioned in the text I read this morning. Isaiah, 
Jesus will quote from Isaiah. Matthew loved to quote Old Testament prophecy more than any gospel writer. He loved it, and he mentions it in verse number 14. And then over in verse 34 and 35, he is quoting from the book of Psalms, chapter 78, verse 2, where the psalmist said that he, our Lord would speak by parables. And so Jesus is speaking in parables, so we will know there's a difference between the believer and the unbeliever, between those that have been given and those that have not been given. And secondly, He speaks in parables in order to fulfill prophecy. If you will, take your Bible and turn back to Isaiah chapter 6. I just want to read this parable that is referenced here, or this scripture that is referenced here in Isaiah 6, 1 through 10. Jesus is actually quoting verse 9 and 10 of Isaiah 6. But I want to go back and read Isaiah 6 because this is a very familiar, a very familiar passage in the Old Testament, one we studied many times, I know, in Sunday school, and you've heard preached from many times. I doubt if you've ever been to a missions conference or heard a missionary that he didn't make reference to this or heard a preacher when he was trying to exhort you to be a witness and share your faith and, and all of that. It says in, in Isaiah 6, 1, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. His train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. Twain he covered his face. With twain he covered his feet. With twain he did fly. One cried unto another, said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King and the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar, and laid it upon my mouth, and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. And here's a verse we remember. Verse 8. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and whom will go for us? That's a great mission passage. That's a great passage to get me people to witness. And Isaiah responded, Then said I, then said I Here am I, send me. And that's where we usually hear the text stopped. It doesn't go any further than that. And that is a great thing for Isaiah to do, as it is for any missionary or any of us to take the message of God to a lost world. But now Jesus is quoting over here in Matthew 13 and verse number 14, 13 through 15. He's quoting verse 9 and 10. Listen what God said back to Isaiah after He said, Go. And Isaiah said, I'll go, send me. And He said, Isaiah 6, 9, And He said, Go and tell this people. Here's what your message is, Isaiah. Hear ye indeed. But understand not, see ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat, make their ears heavy, shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and convert and be healed. And then Isaiah said, Lord, how long? And he answered, Until the cities be wasted with inhabitant and the houses without man and the land be utterly desolate. And the Lord hath removed men far away, and there be a great forsaking in the midst of the land. Isn't that, isn't that strange? Jesus is saying, I am speaking in parables. And then the quote comes from Isaiah, where God told Isaiah, and Isaiah said, I'll go. And God said, you go tell them. 
but you tell them the truth and then tell them they'll not hear it. You show them the truth, they'll not see it. And God said, you keep telling it till I clean the whole thing, till I do what needs to be done in the land. We know that exactly came to pass. What's happening here? The disciples were expecting in Matthew 13 the kingdom to be one way, and Jesus is going to show them in the parables that the kingdom is another way. If you're over in Isaiah 6, you think the next verse would be, Isaiah went and preached, and everybody repented, and everybody got right with God. But that's not the case. And if history is correct, they took this prophet and cut him in half or sawed him in sunder. I mean, they rejected the message. And Jesus said, that's what you're to go preach. You're to preach it. But they have already hardened their hearts. They've already turned away from it. And Jesus said, that's why I'm speaking in parables to the multitudes. Their hearts are hard. Their eyes are closed. I will give to them that believe the truth of the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. There's people living today who expect salvation to be one way. And Jesus says it is absolutely another. Do you remember Nahum over in the Old Testament, the captain of the Syrian army? You, you remember him in the days of Elisha? You remember he had leprosy over in 2 Kings chapter 5? And uh, you remember the little maid that was down there, and uh, she a little Hebrew maid? And Naaman had leprosy. You remember the little Hebrew maid? And she said, uh, she told him, she said, if, if you can go down to Elisha, the man of God, he, he can help you with that leprosy. And you remember Nahum went down to Elisha. But if you also remember what Elisha told him, he told this great captain of the Syrian army, this great man of prestige and situation, go dip in the muddy Jordan seven times and your leprosy will be clean. And there's a verse in that story in 2 Kings 5.11 where Naaman says this, But I thought, that's what he says, Naaman thought that because he was such, such a man and had such a rank that he would go down there, the man of God would see who he was, and Elisha would get up and come and wave some magic wand over him and say, Be healed, and he could ride into town on a stallion and everybody see his beautiful baby skin where he'd been healed with leprosy. He thought that's what Elisha would do, but Elisha said, You're thinking one way, God is thinking another way. Let me just reaffirm this morning, man thinks salvation is many ways. Men think you get in the kingdom of heaven many ways. There are people right now who met yesterday, who are out this morning knocking on Baptist folks' door who don't come to church, trying to get them to get entrance into the kingdom. And they're out there telling them, if you do this and you do that because they think that way, Jesus said, I am speaking in parables because the multitude thinks that this is the way you get to the kingdom and their hearts are hard. They've seen truth, but their eyes are closed. They have heard truth, but their ears are closed. They have seen my power and they blame it on the devil. They have heard my teaching and say, I speak like an insane man. He said, now I'm speaking in parables. Their hearts will get harder. Their eyes will get more blind and their ears will become more deaf. I can't can't help but get ahead of myself, but blessed are you that have seen and have heard. He said, I'm speaking in parables to show a difference and a judgment, and I'm speaking in parables to fulfill Scripture, to show the Word of God like it happened in the Old Testament and like it's happening right now with me. There's only one way to heaven, and that is Jesus Christ. 
and Him alone. But preacher, but preacher, and I know I've shared this, I know I've shared this with you. I had a neighbor in Taylorsville when I pastored there and uh, who was a lost man, and as far as I know, died a lost man. And I witnessed to him, shared the gospel with him several times. One day in particular, I know I, I went over, his lawnmower had tore up, and I went over and sat down to help him. Now, he should have known I was there to witness because I know nothing about fixing lawnmowers. But I went over and sat down there, and we talked. I talked to him another time when he was on his deathbed. And I remember this conversation well. I don't remember if Kim was there or not, but his, his family came over to my house to talk about his funeral. And they sat in, in, the, in the, my living room there, and one of, the, one of them asked me as humbly as she knew how. She said, Preacher, does Dad's good works not count for anything? That's what she said. Broke my heart, broke their heart, but I could not tell her anything but the truth. When it comes to salvation, the answer is no. How do you know that, preacher? Because long, long before Matthew lived, and long, long before Jesus was ever born, the prophet Isaiah said, All of your righteousnesses, plural, every good thing a man can add up in the sight of God is filthy rags. There's only one righteousness that gets you entrance into God's heaven, and that is the righteousness of His Son. And it is to Him we come, and to Him we plead, and to Him we repent. God told Isaiah, you go tell them that you're preaching, but they're not going to understand your message. Tell them that they're going to be judged for their hard-heartedness. Tell them that you will preach to them, and they won't get it. As a matter of fact, tell them, Isaiah, they'll reject you even though I have sent you to them. And that's exactly what's happening in Matthew's gospel. As Jesus comes and brings salvation, as He comes and brings the kingdom of heaven, as He comes and brings righteousness, crowds are following Him, crowds are listening to Him, but the multitudes are rejecting Him, and the same group of multitudes will spit on Him, and they will holler, crucify Him, and as Peter will preach on the day of Pentecost, he will say, you men have crucified the living Savior. You say, preacher, this is a sad, depressing picture. We're not finished yet. What happened in Isaiah's day was prophecy. But what is happening here in Matthew 13 is a greater tragedy. Because Matt, Isaiah's day, Isaiah had nowhere near the light, nowhere near the light that they have with the very Son of God standing in their presence. And I want to say if what happened in Jesus' day right here by the seashore was tragedy, what is happening in mine and your day is even a worse tragedy. We have not only the light that Isaiah had in the Word of God, and we not only have the history of what the Son of God said and did while He was here, but we have the completed Word of God, which cannot be added to. If there's ever been a people that have had more to see and more to hear, it is our generation. But the more you preach it and the more you tell it, the more hardened people's hearts become because they fail and refuse to believe. Listen to verse 15. For this people's heart is waxed gross. Their ears are dull of hearing. Their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. Now listen carefully to what Matthew is saying here. Jesus is saying through Matthew. He said, They closed their eyes, and God sealed them closed. 
They hardened their hearts as did Pharaoh, and then God hardened his heart as God hardens men's hearts. What an awful truth is being fulfilled in prophecy through these interesting and and intriguing parables. People look at them and say, Oh, I want to know what Jesus meant by that sowing seed and that mustard seed and that Oh, that, uh, that leaven, I, I want to get into that. And I, I want to really understand about that treasure hid in the field, and that pearl of great price, and that net that He threw out there. That's the way the disciples are. Boy, we're interested in that. And Jesus said, the more I speak it, the harder your heart is becoming. People flock in churches today to hear how to balance their checkbook in spiritual fullness, or how to have a garden full of God's glory. They gather in to understand all of these trivial things, and they're so interested in that. Oh, the preacher preached today about how to balance my 401k and my IRA as I head toward retirement, and he brought out some interesting things about Jesus' IRA and his 401k. And and all the time they're listening to that stuff, they're just further blinding themselves to the truth of God. That's what happened in the Old Testament. That's what happened in Jesus' day. Jesus had stood before this multitude and said, The law says this, but I say that. But they couldn't get away from that. They're anchored in that. That's where their hope is. And so they can't be led to repentance. And so now He's going to speak to them in parables. And while He's speaking, His people, the disciples, those who truly believe, are over here saying, yes, yes, thank you, Lord. I'm growing. Thank you, Father, for helping me. And the multitude are saying, isn't that interesting? And not the the whole time realizing that they're lost without God. Look closely at the last part of verse 15. Lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should understand with their heart and should be converted and I should heal. What? What is? Did I read that right? What ends up happening here is these parables are told so that the people will be ever seeing but never seeing, so they will be ever hearing but never hearing. Do you see this? The purpose statement's right here in verse 15. The parables are told so the multitudes won't get it. Here comes the unfair flag up again. You know why they don't get it? Because they don't want to get it. And they're not interested in getting it. And God will fix it so they can't get it. You say, well, as we go through this more and more light, people ought to be getting it. The only thing sinners get is what God gives them. And if you're sitting here today saved by grace, it wasn't you that got it. It was God that gave it so you could get it. Don't misunderstand that. No, I got it, and so God gave it to me. No, no, no. He gave it, and you got it. It starts with Him. Thirdly, and finally, and this is where I wanted to get, Jesus spoke in parables to magnify His grace and to encourage those of you, those of us, who are truly His. Again, look at verse 11. He answered this question that they asked, why are you talking in parables? He answered and said unto them, because, here's the reason, Because it is given. Do you see that word in your Bible? It is given unto who? Unto you. And then look down at the last statement of verse 11. But to them it is not given. 
in these verses, Jesus reminds His disciples of the blessing and spiritual light that had been given unto them. And I want all of us to remember today, there was a time in every one of our lives, those of us who are saved, that we were sitting with them. Don't forget that. You didn't come in here privileged. You didn't come in here a leg up on anybody. You didn't come in here five miles on further down the road than somebody else. We were all sitting with them until He gave. Look at the difference in those words, given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom, but to them it is not given. Commenting on verse 11, Dr. Lehman Strauss says, Do not... And I quote, do not, he says, overlook that word given. It suggests pure grace. And I say amen to that. That's my amen, not Strauss's. Divine revelation, he continues, is always a matter of grace on God's part. He goes on to write, but along with divine sovereignty, there is also the matter of human responsibility. And this tells us why the disciples were given the mysteries and the multitudes were not. Somewhere along the line, they failed in human responsibility. They heard it and heard it and heard it and walked away from it. Much like our culture, much like our land. I want you to understand this. So many Baptists want to argue over whether or not our wills are free, whether or not man has free will. We do not, on our own, out of our own accord, ever come to God before He reaches out to us. If you believe that free will means that a sinner can come to God anytime he chooses, on his own, without the intervention of God, then understand this, the Bible does not teach that type of free will. I am not denying that man... Men like you and I are free to make choices. Well, that'd be ridiculous to deny that because God made us that way. The Bible is not denying that you have a human responsibility to choose because you do. That's all through the Scriptures. But Jesus said to them here, and He says all throughout the Word of God, it is only by God's grace that any of us, it is only by God's initiative that any of us understand anything about who we are and who God is. It's because of God's amazing grace. I say again to quote B.R. Lakin, who said it the first time I heard anybody say it, when some woman came up to him one Sunday morning after he had preached and challenged him on the fact that men could not come to God without the initiative. Dr. B.R. Lakin responded to her with a question. He said, where would Adam and Eve be? Or she asked him, where would Adam and Eve be had they not sought God? And he said to her, sister, go read your Bible. He said they'd still be naked in the Garden of Eden because they'd have never come to God 
It was God who came to them. And so would you and so would I. It's the love and mercy. This ought to encourage you. This ought to cause you to rejoice. It is given unto you, Jesus said, to know. Now, I want to tell you what, this puts a hatchet at man's pride. This puts a hatchet at our pride. You can't read verse 11 and then verse 12, for whosoever hath, that's those of us that have been given or those that will be given, to the people who have been given, to him more is going to be given, more abundance. And those that hath not, he's going to lose what light he did have. We're blessed. Now, I, I know preachers, and I know groups of preachers, and all of them get in their cliques and their groups. And their, I know men today who sit around and they're so arrogant, and they say, hey, God chose me, and He didn't choose you, and they strut their stuff. Those men are lost. Don't worry about that. I'm going to tell you, when you realize the mercy and the grace of God, it don't make you strut in pride. It puts you on your face in humble worship and adoration to God that God in His grace would save a sinner like me or a sinner like you. Our choir just sang it a while ago. Let, let me read the verse they sang. I was blinded by my sin. Or we, or we just sang it in the congregation. Had no ears to hear your voice. Did not know your love within. Had no taste for heaven's joys. Then your Spirit gave me life. Opened up your word to me. Through the gospel of your Son, gave me endless hope and peace. That's what Jesus is saying here in this text. Jesus of His own will. Jesus of His own choice. Jesus of His own grace has given unto these disciples and to all who believe, He has given unto them the ability and the knowledge to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. And that mystery is not like some, uh, some novel you read on TV. That means He has given the revelation that we needed to come to Christ. What parent in here has not sat and talked to your children about God and His grace? And you can see it in their eyes. They don't get it. And then all of a sudden, God intervenes and they get it. And that's the way with all of us. It's all grace. Hear me. Please hear me. The revelation of God's kingdom, the revelation of His salvation, how you enter that kingdom, the purpose of that kingdom, the person of that kingdom, the King Himself, has been given to you, and Jesus said, not to them. That is absolute, pure, undeserved mercy and grace Nothing you could do to earn it. Nothing you could do to deserve it. That ought to encourage us. Because when we praise Him, it's not about us. It's about Him. Look at verse 16 and 17. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For verily I say unto you that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which ye see, and have not seen them, and to hear those things which ye hear, and have not heard them. Do you see what's happening here? Not only do you get the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom, but you get parables 
personally explained to you by the incarnate Son of God. It doesn't mean that you and I understand every detail about these parables because we don't. I love the parables that Jesus given. There's just a couple of them in these seven where He explains what He just said. I love that. I wish He'd have done it with all of them, but He didn't. But He has so blessed us that we are able to open the Word of God and through the help of the Holy Spirit understand the things that He wants us to see. That's what's going on here. Prophets like Moses, like Isaiah, the patriarchs of old, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. They responded to the light they received, and then more light came. But they never got as close to the light as Jesus' disciples got. They were standing right with Him. And neither them of old or the disciples here has been as close to the light as you and I are. We have it. This is the light. We're so blessed. Well, I'd much rather God done it the way I was always taught that God... Really? Then that's why you'd be strutting up around down here about what you did and how you did and how you living and what all you've got. There ain't no room. There ain't no room for that. Evangelist Bill Stafford said years ago, Baptist was the only people he knew could strut sitting down. And that's about right. Brother, we have nothing to glory in but the cross and nothing but God's grace. You remember Abraham? I've heard Baptists say, boy, I wish I had the faith of Abraham. I wish I was like Abraham. I understand what you're saying totally. I've said the same thing myself. Abraham took his son up on the Mount Moriah, getting ready to offer him up on the... But, but you, know what? you know what was great about Abraham's faith? Jesus said about Abraham in the New Testament, Abraham rejoiced. To see my day. God said the little bit of, Jesus said the little bit of light that Abraham had. And Abraham didn't see it, but very dimly. But he rejoiced in what he saw. You and I ought to rejoice today that God has given unto us to know the mysteries of the kingdom. If you do not understand anything in God's Word today, you say, Preacher, I'm lost. I don't understand anything about God's Word. I don't know anything about Christ. I don't know anything about salvation. I don't know anything. What should I be doing? I'd be on my knees, and I'd be praying, Lord, teach me truth. Lord, show me truth, and help me as a sinner to respond biblically to that truth once you show me that truth. Save me from my sin. Save me from myself. Save me from the darkness and the blindness in which I'm living. That's exactly what I'd be doing this morning if I was in that situation. You say, preacher, I know Christ today. I believe what the Bible said about Christ, then you should be rejoicing. You should be encouraged because many prophets and righteous men have desired to see the things that we see today. It's all because of God's amazing grace. One final word. Again, when you come to a text like this, there are always some who's going to cry out, God's not fair. He gave to some and didn't give to others. I want to remind you today there is a God, and you ain't Him. Neither am I. And I want to remind you today that God has the power and the sovereign right to do whatever He pleases. And by the way, whatever He pleases will be absolutely right and absolutely just. And all men, believers and unbelievers, will one day praise Him and give Him glory. And I want to remind you again, verse 11 
is the words of Jesus. Not my words, not the words of a creed or a confession of sinful men, not the words of an ism, not the words of a group, not the words of a denomination or a particular preacher's ideology. You read it for yourself. That's what Jesus said in answer to their question. Because I have given you, I have graced you with knowledge about the mysteries of heaven. And I, for reasons known only to God, have not given that to this multitude who have repeatedly seen and heard and have stopped their ears and closed their eyes, and now I will permanently close their eyes and their ears. That's why Jesus speaks in parables. These are not my words, not the words of a theologian, not the words of a preacher, not the words of a professor, not the words of an author of a book. They are the words of Jesus Himself. Verse 16, and I close. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. They only do that because of God's grace. John Newton said, I once was blind, but now I see. You don't detect a note of pride in that. For a shipmaster slave driver, he would have never seen without God's grace. And neither would you. I'm thankful that our Lord tells us, and now you will know when we preach through these parables, you will know why He is preaching this way. To reveal truth to some and to conceal it from others. We have a great God. We have a great Savior. I want to ask you this just before I pray. Do you really think you would have figured this out on your own? Now, if you were an alcoholic, and finally one day your doctor said, if you don't quit drinking, you're going to die. You might have reformed and quit drinking just so you could live. That's not salvation. Or if your mom and dad had an inheritance they wanted to give you, and they said, if you don't clean up your act, you're not going to get this. And you weighed the possibility of having to work versus not having to work. So you went and got you a white shirt and a Bible and come to church for a couple decades. So you could catch, you, may, you can do all that stuff. But that's, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about coming out of darkness in the light. Coming out of being lost to being found. Coming out of Satan's kingdom into God's kingdom. Only Jesus can grant you that. Thank God for a gracious, gracious Savior. Father, I want to thank You this morning for Your precious Word. And Lord, I want to thank You that hundreds, hundreds of years ago, on a seashore somewhere over in the Holy Land, sitting on a boat, You began to speak, and You did to reveal and conceal 
And those who had truly committed to you and followed you wondered why. And Lord, when they asked, you didn't rebuke them, you didn't chastise them, but you answered very clearly and very plainly that to some you have given light and to others you have not. Lord, we're not God and we're not in control of anything, so I bow before your sovereignty and I say thank you, Father, that in grace and mercy you gave me what I needed to be saved. And I want to thank you that you continue to give so we can continue to grow and understand and learn and help others see Christ and point them to truth. Thank you for it. Thank you for fulfilling prophecy. Thank you for doing exactly what the prophets Isaiah and the psalmist had said you would do. Thank you for fulfilling that. And thank you, Lord, that even in our dullness and slackness and our slowness to understand, you still claim us as your own. Thank you for calling us blessed. And Lord, just to say it as humble as I know how, I don't know how to say it anymore. Thank you for undeserved mercy and undeserved grace. Lord, I'd have never figured this out. I'd have never sought you had you not first sought me. I would have never, never could I ever have reformed or changed or made amends to the point that you would have been satisfied with what I brought you. But Lord, thank you for the day when you, through the Word of God and the Spirit of God, convicted me of my sin, showed me your righteousness, and changed me completely. Thank you, Father, for grace that has made me a part of your kingdom. I love you and I bless you. For these sitting here today who are a part of your kingdom, help us to be encouraged. Help us to, be re to rejoice. Help us to understand how blessed we are. Not because we have lights and clothes and food. Those are temporal things. But help us, Lord, to understand how blessed we are spiritually. To be able to know who we are and who you are. And to know what puts two warring parties back together at peace the Lord Jesus. For those listening today who are at war with gods and odds with God, may they find themselves in this hour, in this moment, throughout this day, with their faces in your word and their hearts bowed before you, crying out unto you to be merciful and grace given to them. Lord, only you know your plan for their life. Work it all to your glory. And Lord, hasten the day when all of your people can stand before you in your city and bless your name forever for your amazing grace and for your love. I ask you to teach this pastor, this preacher, teach me through these parables. Teach our congregation. Show us the nature of your kingdom. Help us to understand how blessed we are and how wonderful you are. And Lord, may we not end this chapter with a bunch of knowledge, but may we end this chapter with a heart of gratitude a heart of love, a heart of brokenness and humility over the fact that you have granted unto us your great truth and your great light. And Lord, I pray that light would shine to all who will believe and they'll come to you in saving faith. For it's in your precious name we pray and ask these things. Amen.